Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Everybody who works at Patagonia, I would imagine to a T, is like, let's save the freaking environment. And nobody's like, oh my God, Patagonia is not diverse. Right. Like, it's like, no, 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 that's not the kind of diversity we're talking about, right? right. That's a stand. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rodney Evans. Hi. Hello, hello. On today's episode, we're going to talk about clarity and coherence, how being clear while also trying to be inclusive helps you maintain coherence and differentiation inside and outside your organization. But before we unpack that word soup... Uh, let's check in. <laughs> All right. Let's check in. Um, as we always do, we start episodes with check-in questions, and then we get questions about check-in questions from y'all, and it's very meta. <laughs> we enjoy it. Our check-in question for today is, what is a behavior that you have been working on demonstrating or modeling or embodying since since lately, since recently? <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure... I think part of it's a behavior and part of it is a practice. But the thing I'm trying to do is just notice when I have like body tension, body resistance, body frustration based on something that somebody is saying or challenging me on and just like putting that right out there, owning it gently, often humorously, like trying to be more open about what's happening to me in my own like ego riddled body. Nice. That's great. (laughs) For me, a thing that I have been thinking about, I had a horoscope pop up in my horoscope app. You can just roll your eyes. I can see it. It's fine. They're all the way back. Uh Okay, good. Um, But my horoscope one day this week was, you're sensitive right now, so be careful not to revolt against the weather. Mm. And I have been... I've been in several moments and conversations work-wise in the last little bit where I'm like, I cannot care about this more than you do. (laughs) And like, I need to not be grippy about it. And I care so deeply, but the behavior that I'm trying to model is like noticing when I'm doing that in a way that is like unboundaried and to Uh. the point of being depleting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You and I often talk about either like, too much or too little grippiness. Like yes. it's a lot about grip with us. Oh, so much. It's, I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, if you're going to try to do any work that's emergent, then the, then the whole thing is how, how much, how much gripping, how much constraining, how much controlling yeah, and how much emerging. Yeah. That's so Ugh, true. One of the things I really have forever. loved about getting more into rock climbing is recognizing like 
this the literal practice of overgripping and undergripping. Like oh. you want to stay on the wall, but if you are like too tight and too seized up, you will run out of steam really fast. Yes. So you have to have this like perfect balance of I'm 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 locked, I'm present, I'm there, but I'm not like overdoing it. And and you do have to find that, especially when you're freaking out. Like especially when you're about to fall. Yeah. You know, you don't want to get pumped. You don't want to overdo it. You want to check your body position. So I I don't know if that's uh too nerdy for our listeners, but if you want to get the gripping thing right in life, uh go take a rock climbing class. Yeah, totally. I think that's really <laughs> interesting. So I'm trying not to try not to shout at the weather. Yeah, I like it. Okay, so Today's topic is clarity and coherence, which is a little turn of phrase that kind of emerged at the ready when we realized that there was this tension between having clarity about what we're trying to do, where we're trying to do it, how we're trying to do it, and you know who who says that, who originates that, who clarifies that, mm-hmm. and then what does that mean for our coherence? And by coherence, I just mean like, are we a thing that has a boundary around it? Are we a thing that has a form Right. So if we're just like soup on the floor, that's not coherent. But if we're soup in a can, that's coherent. And Mm -hmm. so we have a we have a sense of who we are, what we are, where we're going. Um, There's an identity that is that is uh, surrounding us and defining us. And I think what I have often struggled with and I'm curious about is, you know, as a founder, as a source, as a leader, um, how much is too much? How much is too little? How can you tell when you need to do that? Is it the early work of the early days? Is it later work of later days? Um, I have definitely struggled with that in the Redis history. And so it's a topic that keeps coming up. And recently, I've seen it in a couple of clients as well. So I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about it. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. I have recently seen a bit of um, avoidance of mm-hmm. creating clarity. And uh, so I was drawn to this topic because I think it's interesting to also explore the power that one can hang on to by not being mm-hmm. clear and by not mm-hmm. committing and by allowing a lot of interpretation and sort of the chaos that that can cause. So again, yeah. like, yeah. you know, what is the what is the right tension that we want to <laughs> hold this idea in? So um so maybe let's just start with talking a little bit about what we are seeing out in the world right now. Like what are some real life examples that uh that made you pitch this as our as our conversation for today? Yeah. So um I was having a conversation actually recently about work life balance. And there is a you know partner of ours that I'm working with where the nature of the industry is very um ad hoc and very elastic and like things can emerge and be sudden and, and really important uh, at, at off hours, et cetera. And it's possible without clarity about that to kind of build a company where there's a lot of different factions of belief about, is this a place where we're going to work a 40 hour week that's nine to five? Or is this a place where we're going to work an 80 hour week and it doesn't matter? Or is it a place where we're going to like do what we need to do it and then recover when we can? Um, and, and so it's just one of those classic examples of in with, for lack of a, of a statement about that at, from the outset of the company and its identity forming, um, these little different divergent opinions emerge. And then suddenly you have, you know, a, a much larger number of people debating, like, who are we? What are we? What's appropriate? What's okay? Mm-hmm. From very reasoned positions about like, you know, there, you can certainly argue for work-life balance. And I know sure. we do on this sure. podcast. But you can also argue that like if you're a fireman 
and the call comes at 2 a.m., you go at 2 a.m. Right. Um, that's the, that's, that's the nature the, of that job. Yeah. And no one's going to ever work a nine to five as a fireman, right? Or at least not the night shift. Right. So, um, so I think that both those things can be true. And for lack of clarity about what is, what are we, um, there's this division that happens. And I think that when you amplify that times a whole bunch of different issues, it gets pretty soupy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And I, I think <laughs> if it's um, from what I have seen in a number of different organizations that I've worked in and around, um, like if it's present somewhere, it's probably present everywhere. And, yeah. you know, you get into this sort of leader, founder, sourcey conversation where sometimes <laughs> we have people who are over architecting, over gripping, are like, I know what's clear and this is what it is and there's no room for negotiation. And then we see people on the other side of the spectrum who are so hesitant or reticent to yeah. make a make a stand or make a bright line or make a boundary or even like articulate a really specific principle that we do get soup on the floor. And yeah. so, you know, I think the, the question becomes what what are the helpful cans? Yeah. And it's hard because, uh, you know, at least from my perspective, you want to make space for inclusion, for participation, for collective steering, like you want to be out of the way. Mm -hmm. And so there's this weird dance of like, when is there enough structure to this house that I can step back and have it be decorated? Right. And have it add some rooms and some wings. And like, it has an architectural style. Um, and, and I think it's really hard actually to sense into like when that is and how much is needed if you're not paying attention. And yeah. so at the ready, for example, in the early days, there was a lot of dissonance around, you know, do we do systems work or do we do leadership coaching? Mm -hmm. And there, you know, because we brought in a lot of different people with a lot of different skills and perspectives, you know, there was a moment in time where a bunch of people here were like, we should do a lot of leadership work. Like it's necessary. It's important. It's fundamental to the work which is probably true. Um, but do we do that? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, do, you know, and, and what how does that fit into our um, point of view? And by the time you have factions or different perspectives in a large group, it feels weird to be like, well, I'm the founder. So I'm gonna say what it sure. is, right? Like, it feels too late in a way. And so there's a little <laughs> bit of a hesitance there. And to your point, it's very frustrating, I think, to be a team leader or a founder, uh, or a source for something. And know that like, not saying anything is a form of power use, you know, power of use, maybe to your point of kind of avoidance mm -hmm. and saying something might be an abuse of, of that same power. And so you're kind of like, Ugh, I yeah. don't know what to do. Right. And if you take it from the perspective of the people in any organization, like the number of times I hear from team members both at the ready, honestly, but but also in other organizations, like I just want to know if I'm doing it right, and <laughs> yeah. and in <laughs> and unfortunately, um, if you're going to have a more emergent and more adaptive system, it can be a little bit more difficult to like ha to anchor to what is right or what is. Um, accepted or what is yeah. source. What is us? And then, oh, yeah, right. Like the whole, like people like us do things like this. And then, but then a lot of psychological insecurity creeps in for people mm -hmm. who are looking mm -hmm. around for right. 
And I had a conversation with someone just the other day at one of our client organizations, and I I basically parroted to them something that like their boss's boss's boss said to me that was very mm. positive. Like she was just like, those guys are doing exact. It's great. Like they right. they killing it. They are when I imagined us doing this work, I imagined it being like that. And mm-hmm. I was like, what a lovely nugget <laughs> to pass along. And it was like that meant so much to them because they're mm. casting about in all of these new ways of doing and being, and they just don't know. And so people look to look for signal, you know, to the people who have been around longer or the people who have more experience or the people who started the place. Yeah. And so then there's that, that tension of like, you're looking for emergence and innovations and new ideas and not to be the single arbiter of what's good, but you have a system who is looking for an arbiter of what's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And obviously the ideal scenario is that somehow the usness and the suchness of it all like emerges naturally right. and organically and we all agree. Um but that's not usually what happens. No. And so for me I was stuck on this for a long time and I finally feel not stuck on it mainly because two things occurred to me. Uh one of them was told to me and the other just occurred um that like changed my perspective on it. So the first one was recognizing that if you bring together a larger and larger group of people through whatever filter you choose, and then you let each of them tug gently on the identity of something, eventually it will be average. Uh huh. So like, it's just everybody gets a piece of string, they all tug a little bit. And because we're all different, because we are explicitly hiring for difference, right? We will eventually have an average thing. If we can all just, agree, it is something that has foc- has been focus grouped to the place that it is uninteresting. <laughs> almost always. Yeah. And in almost yeah. any scenario. Yeah. It's the lowest well, common even, denominator. And I guess my point is, even if we don't agree, like even if we just all disagree, but we all get to affect it in some way, yeah. it just becomes average on the periphery, right? Yeah. It just becomes this like everybody does it a little bit differently. And so what is it? It's nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. Like this group does a little bit this way. This group does a little bit that way. They don't agree. But now the average experience of the ready for customers is like, eh, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was one insight where I was like, oh, OK. So if I just if I play into my like better nature of inclusivity and everybody has a voice and all the things we advocate for on the show to the nth degree to like the to the extreme, I end up with an average thing. And that's not good. If you think about like the, you know, the way we deliver our transformation, for example, some people start with a workshop, some people start with a priming experience, some people start with, you know, a conversation, some people start with an audit with a diagnosis, like you just go down the list and you and you start to say like, all right, multiply that by five teams by 10 teams by a 1000 teams, each with their own variation on that theme, each interpreting what we do from basically no sense of clarity, like just we're consultants. Mm-hmm. And then adding on services over time, right? Like, oh, you know what they need is they need a little help with pricing. Oh, you know what they need is they need a little help with strategy. And because we don't have a container, eventually you're just, I don't know, Accenture. You're like you're like a big, we do it all, we do it in, in all these ways. And even, I mean, shit, even Accenture probably has bright lines about what they do and don't do. They're not a, you know, they're not an accounting firm. But the idea is like wherever those lines aren't, over time with scale, it just becomes the we do it all and we do it every way. Mm-hmm. And that is a certain kind of averageness. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that, I think, even in businesses and products, too. I mean, there are, there are hotel chains you can stay at where it's just like, uh, where am I right now? This is very average. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, maybe that's the intent. So, I, so that, was, that was the one insight. And, uh-huh. and so I'm, I'm worried about that. And I want to 
I want to be distinctive in the places where it matters and inclusive and diverse in the places where that adds to the experience and the value. So, and then, and, uh, and the wisdom to know the difference yes. <laughs> between the two, between the two things. So that, that was one. And then the second one was just this recognition that like, even though you're a leader, a manager, a founder, you know, a person who holds kind of that source role, you're also a person with a life, with your one life to live. And so there is something to be said for like, where do you want to work? Right. Like, what do you want it to be? Because if you, if you're starting something, if you're still in the early days or early years of something, um, you don't have to let it get away from you to the point where you're miserable. Right. There is probably some point where there's a handoff or a trade-off between the folks that started something and the collective and the community that now owns it. But it isn't in year one. It's not in year two. It's not even maybe in year five. There's still some connection there where it's like, what do you want? What brings you joy? What mm-hmm. what what strengthens you? What makes you feel proud of what you're doing? And and you are a voice in the system. Um, forever, but you're especially a voice in the system with that inherent kind of influence and power in the early days of a project or a company. And so, so the other part of it was just like, yeah, maybe I should just tune in a little bit more to like, what do I want? Mm-hmm. And and just own that, like not be so ashamed of that or so afraid of that and just be like, I want to work at a place that kind of focuses on this mm-hmm. or works like this or thinks like that or mm-hmm. prioritizes this. And, and that that is not something that I have to shy away from in order to be, you know, kind of a, a, a an advocate for participatory decision making and inclusion and collective benefit. Mm-hmm. And just because what I'm seeing right now is more along the lines of not not being clear or or coherent yeah. than the other end of that spectrum. Um, for you, what do you think held you back? Was it the theoretical piece where you're like, I can't be both? Um, you know, creating these bright lines and specificity around how we do things or what we do, and also a believer in participatory organizations, or was it, or was it something else? I think it was just too broad a brush around the idea that you know diverse perspectives and collective decisions lead to better sense making and better outcomes. So mm. if you just sort of believe that, you're like, oh yeah, you know, like more sense making, more perspective taking, that's that's at the heart of our governance model, that's at the heart of our belief system. So why not just do that everywhere? Mm-hmm. You know, like just do it everywhere. So it's broad brush. And then there's also a part of it where maybe you're afraid to hurt feelings, you're mm-hmm. afraid to alienate, you're afraid, to, I at least am, have been afraid to like, make someone feel like they're not part of Mm-hmm. something because mm-hmm. of an opinion that I hold and then sort of say, like, well, this is what it is. So it's not for you. Yeah. Um, that's painful. Like that feels, that feels like a, like a mean thing to do sometimes. And so, um, so part of it, I think was that passivity to like, not want to, not want to engage in that kind of conflict. Um, and then I guess the last thing is probably, you know, regardless of who you are and how many times you've done this, there's also a lack of confidence sometimes about like, is this the right call? Is yeah. this the right point of clarity? Is this the right boundary? Is this the right mission? Um, and so to not be too married to that for, you know, for concern that like, I don't know, maybe I'm not right. right. Maybe I'm not right. And so how do I leave room for that? Thank you all so much for listening. If you would please leave us a review, we would really appreciate it or share our show. And, um, you know, if you want to take a quick break to go do that now and then get a coffee and then come listen to the rest of the episode, there's going to be so much more dang goodness on the back half of this thing. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Get, Get a drink, send a review, come back.
one other thing that I've seen both here and in a prior organization that I think is true for both of us is like, I also think it's easy to get excited about an individual and, um, or, you know, or, or several individuals over time and be like, Mm -hmm. well, they're about this thing. And like, we're not so fully formed and rigid in terms of what we're about. So maybe the tent is big enough to include Mm -hmm. them. But then what you end up with, and I've now seen this play out a couple of times, what you end up with is like, your company is like the stage on which everyone is putting on their own performance. That's right. And that doesn't make a lot of sense in the market. (laughs) It doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of like progressing and evolving and advancing the craft, which is a super difficult craft to begin with. (laughs) And then to have it like basically branch with an N of one is like not the move early on. But, um, but I think, you know, and and this was true of my last company too. It was like, you know, we would meet some genius at, network mapping and be like, we should be doing that because it feels adjacent and related and supportive. But there's this like boundary of like, what is really core? And are we, are we at a place where our essence is strong enough that we can start to incubate other? And, uh, it, I think it takes some time and some experimentation to get there. But Mm -hmm. in absence of that, I think you get this dilution and, um, and, and sort of to your point about like not wanting to get it wrong. I also see people who just in their refusal to make a choice about strategy, about product, about a technology, whatever in their refusal to make a choice, they're not ever actually wrong, but -hmm. they're not ever great. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing to me that I'm like, Like let's, I'd rather that we got it like wildly wrong for a quarter or a half a year. And then we're like, oh wow, that was a profoundly stupid idea. That was not the move. Then just like we tried to be all things to all people and not ever like rock the boat or alienate or whatever. And then yeah, be just okay. Yeah. It is funny. The avoidance strategy kind of clips the ends of the bell curve of possibilities off. It's like, We're not going to have a wildly successful outcome. We're not going to have a terrible outcome. We're going to have this sort of middle ground. Um, yeah, whether that be strategic or cultural or whatever, like that's what we're signing up for is, yeah. is this very different thing. The thing I think that's true about sort of that middle of the spectrum then is although that might feel safer in some ways, um, you also have to think about like what what kind of flies does that light attract? Yeah. Because if – yeah. If you want to do something that feels kind of middling because it feels safe, then the humans who show up for that are what you expect. Safety craving. Um, it's funny you you clicked right into what I was what was emerging for me, which is this notion of like why do you, why the ready? Why do you work here? Yeah. Right. And if you ask people that question about your company, your team, your project, um, and the answers are wildly diverse or wildly boring. Um, then there may not be enough clarity mm-hmm. to create the kind of coherence that's interesting and strategically viable. And right. it's the same thing. I mean, I'm sitting right next to this bookshelf and I was just thinking like, you know, the Brave New Work bookshelf, how do I decide if a book gets to come into this group or not? Mm-hmm. And the answer is like, there's a clarity about where the lines are. So I don't have War and Peace on here because mm-hmm. there's no fiction on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, And I don't have, you know, books that start to get into like, pieces that are not in the canvas up here because we've just, I've just tried to like localize it to that. So there, you do this all the time in different parts of your life. Um, but often it feels like when you're playing the new ways of working game, 
one place you don't do it as well as you could is at work. Right. <laughs> is in is in the company in the project. Right. Right. Well, and it takes so much courage. I mean, one of the things when you raised this topic that I immediately wrote down was like if you're someone in a system and you're trying to disrupt that system in whatever way, if you're trying to disrupt it in terms of your release cadence or in terms of work-life balance or in terms of how we assess each other's performance, whatever particular flavor of weirdo disruptor you are, you are going to have headwinds. Because what I've realized in doing this work for a long time is once you actually start screwing with the, something that someone really cares about and a pattern mm-hmm. that people feel really comfortable with, like they will push back super, super yeah. hard, even if they're yeah. the people who told you they wanted to change things. Do um, it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's just like, that's how this goes. And so it takes a level of courage to stick at the fringe, mm-hmm. especially when you don't know. If it's right. Right. And right. if you want to be clear about something and then essentially ask for and cultivate coherence around whatever the stake is that you're putting in the ground, it takes a certain level of swagger to do that, knowing that you might have flubbed it. Yeah, I think that's right. And I also think that the swagger and or the influence of ownership is an important middle ground step that people often forget when you Mm. come from the traditional line of thinking, which is like in the traditional line of thinking, you either do the avoidant thing or you mandate. Right. And what I'm advocating for is like you, there might be a need for a mandate, particularly if you're like, you know, N of one company and you're, and you're setting some boundaries and some ground rules, that's certainly fine. But like the much more interesting move is just to state really clearly what you think and believe as a person who has outsized power. Right. Because of your position, because of your history with the company or whatever. And just see, like, how do people grapple with that? So it's okay to, instead of being like, it has to be read, you could just say, like, I really think it should be read, guys. Yeah. And just see, like, what does that do? Because the reality is that might be enough. It might be enough to either provoke a strong response that teaches you something and makes you see what you weren't seeing. Right. It might be enough for people to just, like, kind of get on board and be like, well, shit, you know, in a... (laughs) in a windstorm where we can't find anything, there's something we can grab onto. Yeah. So like we'll, we'll grab onto it and we'll play and it doesn't have to be coercive. Right. Like it can just be communicative. I want to work at a place where people tell the truth and have the hard conversations. I want to work at a place where this is true. I believe that if we do this project, it's going to be a wild success. Right. And just own that shit. And yeah. if you're wrong, you're wrong. Yeah. And like face up to the inevitable rejection <laughs> yeah. that is going to come with that. And like, that's great because if you are clear and you're saying that and there are people around you in our system, outside our system, in client organizations who are like, that's not for me, then mm-hmm. they are not for you. And right. that is a really important part of clarity is like, yeah. we are, everything is not for everyone. And the best <laughs> things are like the lid in the jar really match up. And yeah. so rather than us always negotiating to make sure no one like leaves us or fires us or rejects us or abandons us or quits, just be really clear and be like, if that's not for you, then we're not for each other. And that's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we have a hard there, time doing that. Such a hard time because a, 
we're such a growth at all costs, big is better culture. Yes. That there is a belief that like, shit, if somebody leaves, if a customer leaves or an employee leaves or a partner leaves because of something I said, um, then that's a failure, right? right? Because we're supposed to eat the world. So we're supposed to have everybody on the bus. Right. And and the reality is like, that's just not true. Like the best companies don't have everyone on the bus. The best communities do not have everyone on the bus. They are they are diverse. They are inclusive with the people that are there. But the people that are there do share something. Yeah. And that is the thing. It's like, where are you diverse and where are you aligned? That like, you know, everybody who works at Patagonia, I would imagine to a T is like, let's save the freaking environment. Right. There's no like oil loving, like let's pollute the earth. How can I put more carbon into the atmosphere? Climate deniers like, I'm just at here Patagonia. for the fashion, but like right? also big oil, probably not. Yeah, and yeah. nobody's like, oh my God, Patagonia is not diverse. Right. Like it's like, no, no, no. That's not the kind of diversity we're talking about, right? right. That's a stand. Take exactly. a stand. So when I think about this as our friends out in the world are you know, coaching teams or leading teams or working in teams, the mental model that I have for this is like, you know, what are the guard, like what is the tent under which everybody can have any kind of dance party that they want to? And like, Mm -hmm. what are the, what are the poles in that tent? What is the tent top? I don't know what a a circus (laughs) tent thing. I don't know what I'm talking about, but you guys know what I mean. It's the thing that's stripey. And and so red and white. Yep. It's like um, back in the day, um, I used to teach a thing and and it was about em- empowerment and how you created more empowerment around execution. And and I would always say, you allow the how, you allow the how, you give guidance and guardrails and allow the how. And to me, guidance and guardrails like it, it are definitely uh, cousins to clarity and coherence. It's just like, mm-hmm. what are the things that are true for us for now? that are strong convictions that we're holding at the moment. And then within that, how much can everybody have freedom and party? And I think yeah. something we've gotten much better about at the ready over the years is actually being a little bit clearer and more specific in our tent, but also simpler. Like right. I think our tent used to be very um, detailed. And there was like mm-hmm. a lot of thinking around what was essential and what was our intent and what it looked like and why and all of that stuff. And I feel like we've gotten to a place where like everyone is anchored to the idea of changing how the world works. And a lot of us come at that from very different perspectives. And some people come at it from like a social justice perspective and some come at it from like a, a traditionally like different kind of organizational perspective, like academia or religion or something. And like some of us come at it from like a post bureaucratic perspective, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter like why we're in that tent. We're clear that we want to change the way the world works into this other way that we're also clear on. And I Mm -hmm. think that gives us the coherence we need to do our own kind of dance. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it, you know, it plays out in that, that level at purpose And then it plays out in all these other little smaller ways, like where, you know, what's that same level of clarity that we need to have a tent around brand or how we talk to each other or how we show up and all that other stuff. The other thing that that really provoked for me when you said, you know, it's, it's, it's about the how I I also think the underpinning of this whole idea and where it becomes less contradictory to our broader thinking about decentralization and autonomy and transparency and collective action is that um, 
the why behind the clarity matters a ton. Mm -hmm. So in a big traditional legacy system, the clarity comes from a why of lack of trust and assuming everyone's an idiot. Mm -hmm. That's why we have the why. And so it's like, the, the or that's why we have the clarity. The why behind the clarity is, I can't trust any of you, so I'm going to tell you exactly how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And that way we know we're going to get what we want. And so it's all about compliance rather than this, which is saying, no, this is about being distinctive. Mm-hmm. This is about having an identity and a coherence and being one thing together that has a boundary between us and the rest of the world that allows us to do great work in the world. Yeah. And so that's why we want the clarity. And so then the kinds of clarity we seek, the way we share it, the way we talk about it is going to be like more gently held. And it's going to be done with with some grace and with some love and with some like collective ownership of the idea that we want it. Yes. Like we're not trying to buck it. Whereas in the traditional bureaucracy, you're like, oh, God, stop telling me how everything is supposed to be. Right. And in these kinds of systems, we're almost craving like, let's make sure that we know how this is supposed to be. Right. So that we have something that makes us us. Well said. (laughs) Uh, A quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And more and more of you are doing that. And we are loving it. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. Mm -hmm.